Hey, good morning, Salt Church. We're really glad that you've gathered to worship with us. It is a beautiful day. When we made the decision like three months ago to begin meeting outside, this is what we envisioned instead of the weather that we've experienced. And so what a beautiful morning it is to gather. And we are really glad that you're here with us. A year ago or so, when we planted Salt Church, none of us could have imagined that only a year later we would be meeting outside with masks on, trying not to sweat too much, trying not to get bit by too many mosquitoes, and that we would actually enjoy it, right? But it is a joy because it's the only way right now that we can gather, but we are glad to gather. And we love getting together with you on Sunday mornings to worship together and to open the Bible together. It's been a crazy 2020. We all know that. And we're a little bit nervous maybe to see what comes next, but that's the reality. 2020's brought us something a little bit different than what we expected. And life does that to us sometimes, doesn't it? Like we think something will happen. We have an expectation for what's ahead and then something completely different hits us. Something completely different happens. Maybe even for some of you, that's what happened when you got invited to Salt Church by one of your friends. Or maybe your vision of coming to church with a friend is pulling up and parking in a nice paved parking spot and grabbing your gourmet coffee out of the coffee shop on your way in and sitting in a nice comfy seat and being wowed by this big production on a nice stage in a nice facility. That's not Salt Church, is it? You pulled up, you parked in the grass. And as you walked up our greeting team, here's the question we ask. Did you bring your own chair or do you need to borrow one of ours? Oh, and by the way, don't forget, you're going to want to cover head to toe in mosquito spray because you'll get bit, right? Welcome to Salt Church. That's our reality, right? Sometimes reality that we're presented with is different than what we expect, maybe even different than what we want. And that's not something new, is it? It's not a new phenomenon, like outside of the church or inside of the church, right? And we can laugh, hope we laugh about things like church buildings and mosquitoes and trivial issues like that. But what happens when we begin to wrestle with deeper issues, more substantial questions. What happens when we're not kind of wondering about what the church building looks like, but instead we begin asking the question, why does Jesus look different than I expected him to look? Why is Jesus saying something different than I expected him to say? Doing something different than I expected him to do? Right, those questions get a little deeper and a little more difficult and we have to wrestle with those. Right? I thought Jesus was just gonna make my life easier, not more difficult. I thought Jesus, he just wants me to be happy, wants me to enjoy my life and doesn't want me to struggle and have concerns. What happens, church, when this Jesus that we're all here to celebrate and worship and pray to and sing to, what happens when this Jesus is different than what we expected him to be? We've been teaching through the book of Matthew for quite a while now. And we've watched as Jesus has encountered person after person after person. And we've gotten to see their responses. We've gotten to see their reactions. And what we're seeing over and over again is this, that while Jewish people had been looking forward to the coming Messiah for centuries, the Messiah that showed up was different. He wasn't what they expected him to be. He didn't teach like they thought he would. He didn't act like they expected to him, him to. And so these people that Jesus is encountering, so many of them missed him. 
and others were frustrated by him, discouraged by him because they didn't even understand who he was or what he was doing. There was confusion and there was curiosity and there was wonder. There was all kinds of reactions. We're gonna look at some of those. You don't even have to look with me because we're gonna flip really fast through a couple chapters that we've already read. But I wanna point out just a few of these reactions that we've seen to the person and the work of Jesus. Way back in Matthew 7, the first one I'm gonna read is from verse 28. Jesus just got done with the Sermon on the Mount, this teaching that he presented to the people. And here was their reaction. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like their scribes. We jump ahead in Matthew 8, verse 27. The men were amazed. This was after Jesus calmed the waves and the storm in the, in the, when he was on the boat. Here's what their reaction was. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. They couldn't believe that a man on this earth could do what he was doing. And so they had a reaction of curiosity, of wonder. There were some people that reacted more negatively. Chapter nine, verse three, at this, again, his teaching, his saying to someone, have courage, your sins are forgiven. Here's the reaction that the scribes have. Verse three, at this, some of the scribes said to themselves, he's blaspheming. They weren't thrilled about the way he was talking. He was speaking in the way that only the Messiah could speak. And they didn't think he was it. They didn't think he was him. So it frustrated them. A few verses later in verse eight of chapter nine, when the crowds saw this, again, a healing that Jesus performed, when the crowds saw this, they were awestruck. They gave glory to God who had given such authority to what? Men. They were amazed. They were in awe. They were just awestruck by Jesus, but they still thought he was just a man, right? They didn't fully understand who he was or why he was here. Even John the Baptist, you remember John the Baptist, right? At the very beginning of this book, he proclaimed like, here is the lamb. Here's the son of God. Even John the Baptist in chapter 11, verses two and three. Now, when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Even John the Baptist is asking questions. He's not totally sure. He was having doubts. See, these people are watching Jesus, the Messiah, right in front of them. And they're just not sure how to react. Jump ahead to our, our chapter from last week. Verse two, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, see your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And in the next few verses, Jesus tells them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I get to do what I want. I make the rules, not you. And that resulted in this reaction, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Here's why I read all these verses. Here's why I wanted us to see these reactions. Jesus was not the Messiah that they had been expecting. For centuries, they knew a Messiah was coming. So they were looking for him. And then when he came, they missed him. 
They didn't understand him. They didn't see him. And in our text today, the next few verses of Matthew, he is going to once again hammer home the point that Jesus, our Messiah, is here. He has come. And church, that's the same message that we need to to hear and be reminded again. Jesus, our Messiah, is here. He has come. Quit looking around for someone or something in this world to save you. Quit just waiting for your life to somehow just get better. Recognize Jesus, the Messiah that you need. He has come for you and for me. Open your Bibles with me. Scroll to it on your phones if you've got them. If not, we'll put these on the screen. We've got just a short text today. For Matthew chapter 12, half of our text is actually going to be Matthew repeating a prophecy that was made centuries before him by the prophet Isaiah. Read with me, starting in verse 15. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here's that prophecy. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. Verse 15 starts with, Jesus was aware of this. What Matthew's referring to is verse 14, that plot to kill him that the Pharisees were working on, right? They were finally tired of him challenging them and rebuking them and teaching a different truth and a different view of God than they had. They got sick of it. And so they just got together and decided, all right, it's time to kill him, right? And the words that were used in verse 14, they include a level of finality to them. Here's what this little gathering of the Pharisees wasn't. It wasn't a circle of them expressing their frustration and somebody saying, I I don't know, guys, what should we do? And they talk for a while and come up with some plans. And then finally, somebody's like, maybe we could just kill him. Like that was not this meeting. The words in verse 14 say they've already had that discussion. They've already had that debate. Now they have decided Jesus needs to die. The only question that remained is how and when. These Pharisees are done. In their minds, in these verses, the fate of Jesus has been sealed. What's funny to me is What they didn't understand is they were simply willing participants in a plan that God had put in place a long time ago. They didn't know that yet, but Jesus did. And here's what else Jesus knew. He knew it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for him to go yet. It wasn't time for him to be murdered yet. And so he withdrew. He went away from the crowds, away from the publicity, away from the fame that was beginning to come to him. Now, we might wonder, is Jesus like the worst player of hide and seek in all of history, right? Because it says in verse 15 that he goes and hides or he goes and withdraws. And then immediately all the crowds, they follow him and they come to him and he still healed them, right? The compassion of Jesus to still heal them. But here's what he tells them. He says, don't go make my name known. 
Like, don't tell people what I did for you. Here's what Jesus knew. He knew that this angry mob that was forming among the Pharisees, it wasn't time for them to kill him yet. They couldn't drag him out in the streets and murder him in those moments. He knew that it had to be a cross. He knew that he had work to do. He knew there was more for him to teach. There was an example for him to set. There was more prophesy. There was more prophecy from the Old Testament that needed to be fulfilled. Jesus knew it wasn't time yet. He knew that. He knew that it had to be a cross. Right? It must be. It must be because Jesus isn't some random like revolutionary that was just getting, getting in these people's business and stirring up trouble and making a name for himself. That wasn't who he was. Who was he? He was the lamb of God. He was the lamb of God sent to be that sacrificial lamb to die on that cross for the sins of the world. That is the mission that he was on. And so the time needed to wait. He wasn't ready to die yet. Jesus came to be a sacrifice. But listen, that's not what people expected. That's not the Messiah they were looking for, right? They expected the political revolutionary. They were looking for a new king that would conquer the enemies and free the prisoners and in a very public way, usher this new kingdom onto this earth. That is what they were looking for. That is what they expected, but that's not who Jesus was. That's not the Messiah he came to be. Because if that's who he was trying to be, he actually had a pretty dumb strategy about it, right? They start to make a name for him. He starts to be well-known and he goes and withdraws. He goes and retreats. He goes to hide. That's not who this Messiah would be. Or see, many years ago, Isaiah had prophesied that this is the kind of Messiah he would be. The Jewish people had just missed it. They read these words from Isaiah and they just missed it. They didn't know what it meant, right? Verse 19, it told us, it is, it is Matthew repeating the prophecy of Isaiah. And it said that he wouldn't argue or shout or make a large commotion in the streets. This Messiah, Jesus, he didn't come to make a commotion, this Messiah Jesus came to put on display his compassion for people, his care for people, his love for them. And so we see him withdraw. We see him try to get away and get out of the spotlight. But even then he couldn't help but heal people. He loved them too much. He was too concerned with their good. That's the type of Messiah he is. And he was. Church, that's true for us. Today, if you wonder who this Jesus is, this Jesus cares for the broken. He has compassion for the hurting. He is here for those that have lost hope, for those that are desperate, those that are far from God. And if that's you today, you need to know your rescue is not gonna come through some political party winning office in, a, in the election in a few weeks. Your joy and your happiness is not gonna come when you finally convince that guy to ask you out. Your hope and your feeling of emptiness and your worthlessness, that's not gonna magically go away if you get that degree and get that job that you're striving for. You need rescued. You need saved. And the good news is Jesus, our Messiah, 
came to be your savior. He came to bring you hope and help and joy. Because here's what's true, and, and this is our big idea for this morning. So if you're taking notes, write this down, leave here with this truth this morning, and it's this. The misunderstood Messiah came for unsuspecting people. The misunderstood Messiah, he came for unsuspecting people. People weren't totally sure what to do with him. They weren't sure how to react to him, right? Some found themselves in awe of him and yet others wanted to kill him and get rid of him. He was misunderstood. But what became clear over the course of his life What became clear as he spoke to people, as he did ministry among people, is that his purpose was to come for the lost and the broken and the hurting. The people that knew Jesus, the people that watched Jesus and saw what he did, they realized and they knew he was here. He came to help, to bring hope in a place that felt hopeless. That was the mission of Jesus. And church, that is still his mission today. Look again at who he came for. Who'd we see in verse 15? He came for the hurting, right? Large crowds followed him. People who were broken, people with physical illnesses and ailments, people with struggles, and they came to him. And what does it say? He healed them. But what's the last word of that sentence? He healed them all. Right, that is the compassion of Jesus to come and to heal. Right, and that matches the prophecy about him that we saw in verse 20. Here's what this verse means. Isaiah spoke it years and years, centuries ago. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. Here's what you need to see in this picture, right? A reed, many of you, most of you are probably not familiar with what a reed is. I wasn't either until I started reading about it. Here's what a reed was. It's simply a stalk of a plant, right? It's, you've got a plant growing tall, you've got a stalk. That stalk's called a reed. And sometimes those reeds would get bent or they would get nicks in them or they would get a little bit broken. And when you came to that reed, you kind of had a couple options, Right, One of your options would be to take that reed and just snap it, throw it away and be done with it. That reed was done, no longer purposeful. Or you could nurse it back to health. You could tie it to another reed. You could help it grow. You could coddle it. You could nurture it back to life. That's what you could do with a reed. Most of us, we're probably never gonna do that. But the next example he gives, a smoldering wick. You know what that's like, right? Maybe with a candle that you've seen at home or you've been around a fire pit before and you see the fire and it's not totally out, right? Like there's smoke coming from it. You can tell there's still something going on here, but it's not this roaring flame that it's supposed to be. Again, you got two options. You can grab some water and you can dump it on it and the fire's totally dead. Or, or you can blow on it. You can fan it. You can breathe life back into it. And here's what Isaiah was saying. Isaiah was saying that this Messiah that would come, he isn't gonna be some bully or some revolutionary that was just gonna walk around snapping these bruised reeds and just putting out all the little smoking, smoldering wicks. No, he would come with compassion and care. He would nurture them and bring them back to life. Bring them back to health. Many of you, as as Jensen mentioned, were at the baptism service that we had a few weeks back. 
If you weren't there, I would encourage you, go on our website. You can watch the entire service and you can listen to those stories. Guys, we do baptism services. We love our baptism services. And my favorite part every single time is when people share stories and tell us as the church what God is doing in their life. And if you were there, you heard eight stories that day from that stage of God's redemption, the beauty of what God's doing. And I don't know if you caught a theme, but there were more than a few of these stories that had a really similar narrative. And and I'm gonna just sum up this narrative really simply. Here's what it was. I was struggling, I was down, I was wondering whether life was worth living and then Jesus redeemed me and Jesus saved me and Jesus rescued me, right? And so as we watched them go down into the waters and then come back out of the waters, what did we do? What did we do? We cheered like crazy because we were witnessing Jesus doing what Jesus does. He came to heal the hurting and the broken and the lost. And so we got to ask this question. It's a hard question. It's one that we usually try to avoid, but we got to ask it today. In your own mind, in your own life, wrestle with this. How are you, how are you hurting today? How are you broken in this moment? What has you down? What has you discouraged and depressed? How this morning are you weary and worn out? Just yesterday, my kids and I were sitting on the couch and we're in a group chat with all of Danielle's family. And if you don't know Danielle, she's my wife and she has seven brothers and sisters. And so you can imagine it's a really large group chat and we get lots of notifications. And most of the time I'm not annoyed by it, I promise, but maybe some of the times. Yesterday, we're on a group chat and it's just buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. So we're sitting down looking at this group chat and it's a weekend where actually most of the family was able to come back to grandma and grandpa's house and they're hanging out and they were doing some work and they were sharing some pictures. And so we got a picture of some cousins holding some new baby kittens. And then we got a video of them making applesauce together and just having a really great time. But I looked over and I saw my daughter's face and this is gonna be hard. I saw my daughter's face go from joy to sadness to real pain because she wishes she was there and she's not. And that broke her heart. As you can see, it broke my heart. Church, the message that you need to hear is the same message my daughter needs. It's the same message I need. Jesus came to heal that brokenness to heal that hurt, to fill that need, to remove that sadness. That is why Jesus came. That is why Messiah Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago. He came to heal and restore. Look at who else he came for. Read with me in verse 18. The very end of it. Here's part of why Jesus came. He came to proclaim justice to the nations. And I want you to hold on to that word. Jump down to verse 21. The nations will put hope in his name. The nations, this is a word that was used to designate kind of those out there, those beyond, right? Think outside of your normal circle, outside of where you live and play. Jesus came to heal them too, 
right? For the Jewish people, it was the non-Jewish people. Jesus came, the Messiah came both to the Jews, but also to the non-Jews. And Isaiah prophesied about that long ago, but the Jews missed it. They didn't understand that. And even some of the Jewish people, they were frustrated by that. They were mad about that. You mean to say the Messiah, Jesus came for them? The Gentiles, the pagans, the evil ones? Those that are so far gone, so unrighteous, so unholy. Have you seen what they do on the weekends? Like Jesus came for them, are you sure? Have you heard how they talk? Do you see how they dress? Like you're telling me Jesus came for those people too? Yes, even for them. Yes, especially for them. The misunderstood Messiah. He came for unsuspecting people. He did. He didn't come because those who followed all the rules deserved for him to come. He didn't come as a political king that would free all the oppression and take over the government and make things all better politically. This Messiah Jesus was different than they expected him to be. And this difference caused all kinds of reactions. We've seen those, haven't we? Some were amazed by him. Some were curious about him. Others were furious and wanted to kill him and wanted to murder him. But some, a few, were beginning to see. Maybe he was more than just a man with some cool tricks. Look ahead with me, verse 23. I'm gonna steal a verse from next week's text. Sorry, Paul, it's too late. You can't take it from me. Verse 23, here's what's happening. All the crowds were astounded and said, could this be the son of David? The son of David. You know what that means? Messiah that was promised a long time ago. Now they are starting to get it. Now they are starting to understand and believe that maybe, just maybe, finally, this Messiah that has been promised for centuries, maybe he is finally here Maybe he has finally come. They are beginning to see with clarity. And now they have the opportunity to respond rightly. And Salt Church, we have the same opportunity to respond. We have the same chance as we see Jesus for who he is. How will we respond? How will we react? Maybe you showed up here today not as a follower of Jesus, but as someone who is just curious. Maybe your friend invited you to come. You, were, you thought you were going to Starbucks. You ended up at church, but now you're curious. Maybe your expectation about Jesus is that he is just that guy that makes me feel bad about doing all the things I wanna do, but no, I shouldn't. That is not our Jesus. Maybe your expectation about Jesus is that he expects you, hey, when you get your life straightened out and when you get settled down, then we can have a relationship. That is not our Jesus. Maybe, maybe your expectation is that Jesus is just some angry tyrant that can't wait for you to mess up so he can dump some water on you and break you the rest of the way and just be done with you. Salt Church, that is not our Messiah Jesus. 
that's nothing like our Jesus. Maybe, maybe you think Jesus came for them, those other people. You need to hear this. He did. He came for them. But he also came for you. That, that is our Jesus. Probably for most of the crowd, you're not curious about the faith. You've actually been walking with Jesus for a little while. You've got a relationship with him, maybe for a long time, for a number of years. So many years, perhaps, that the newness is starting to wear off. This relationship is starting to get a little bit old. And so maybe you're in the place of thinking that Jesus has given up on you or doesn't still care for you. That is not our Jesus. Maybe you wonder if Jesus has kind of fallen asleep at the wheel, right? Because you look at your life and it seems like it is caving in around you and it seems like he's no longer in control. You need to hear that is not our Jesus. Maybe for you, maybe for you, you wonder about Jesus, if he can still carry your burdens, if he can still give you hope, if he can still provide you rest. So you've gotten to the place of no longer believing that he is good enough or strong enough. That is not our Jesus. That is not our Jesus because he does still have the power and the desire to love you and carry you and he still can. When we, when we understand who this Messiah Jesus is, then we can begin to respond rightly to him. So who is he? He is the son of God that was sent to this earth as a sacrificial lamb to go to the cross to die on your behalf and my behalf for your sins and for my sins. And on that cross, he absorbed the wrath and the punishment from God that you and I deserve. He was buried, but death couldn't keep him and couldn't hold him. And so he came back to life, conquering sin, Satan, and death once and for all so that you and I could have life, abundant life. That is our Jesus. Well, who did he come for? He came for you. He came for me. He came for your neighbor and your classmate. He came for the dude down the hall that you can't stand being around. And he came for that girl that seems to always want to get the attention of all the guys. He came for the people who think they are God's gift to this earth. And he came for the people that think this earth would be better without him. Jesus came for you and for me. He came for all of us. That, that church is our Messiah, Jesus. So how will you respond? How will you respond today? How will you respond this week and in the coming weeks? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you, place your faith and your trust in him. Put your hope in him. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while already, I would encourage you, renew your hope, renew your trust, renew your faith that this Messiah Jesus is here to heal and help the broken. And this Messiah Jesus has a mission that he wants you on.
Oh, church, oh, salt church, would we live up to our name? Salt church, salt is meant to be an influence. Salt is meant to affect the world around them. Oh, would we be that? Would we be that and more in the world that we're in? Share the message of hope. It was prophesied long ago in Isaiah. Matthew reminded us, the Messiah Jesus came to bring hope for the nations. Church, that's still true today. Pray with me 